You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. You can be seated in the room and... uh, I want to say greetings to those watching online as well. It's great to have you uh, with us gathered for worship. And today's, uh, today is a good day uh, because we are starting a new series today. And, uh, and, uh, and that's always exciting. Not only are we starting a new series, but when we start a new series at this time of the year in August, we also launch a new theme uh, for our ministry year. Our ministry year runs like a school year, so it's starting like today, and our ministry year will end next, uh, you know, next August. So today we're going to start a new series called Praying for Change, a study of the Lord's Prayer. And we decided on this theme, uh, uh, Praying for Change, back in February or so, because that's going to be the theme of our ministry year this year as well. We just happened to start it with a series by the na- same name, Praying for change. And little did we know in February that we would uh, find ourselves today in a time of turbulence and uh, in our country, uh, disconnectedness, fear, anger, uh, isolation, all kinds of stuff that's going on in our culture, uh, and it touches all of us. And so little did we know that's where we'd be at this time, but we think praying for change. If we had to pick a theme starting today, I think we'd pick the same theme because it's really a time for prayer. And so that's what we'll be focusing on over the next year. We're not going to teach every week on prayer for the next year, but we will have emphasis throughout the year on praying together as a people and learning to pray individually. And I also would like to uh, make a couple of recommendations. I know I flashed books up last week. We're not, our cafe's not open, so we're not selling uh, books here uh, at, the, at the building these days, but uh, hopefully soon. But we, uh, I do want to make recommendations so that you could pick this up on uh, digital or, uh, you know, in, uh, in book form, either way. And I'm going to share two books on prayer that I think will be helpful to you. And I, I'd like to challenge you over the next year as we're together to read both of these books. And uh, I think they will affect your vision of God, and I think they'll affect your prayer life as well. They have mine. The first one is by uh, Tim Keller, and it's just simply called Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. Isn't that what we want? Awe at his greatness and intimacy that he has come close to us. So it's a book on prayer. It's got, all, it's, it's got, very, uh, it's got historical uh, things about prayer. It's got a survey of uh, prayer in the Bible. It's got a brief section on the Lord's Prayer as well, which we're going to be talking about. The other book is this. It's called Uh, A Praying Life by Paul Miller, uh, Connecting with God in a Distracting World. Uh, connecting with God in a distracting world. And uh, so that's a, that's a prescription I think we all need. Uh, this book radically affected me when I first read it a number of years ago, uh, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And then uh, I wanted to have something on the Lord's Prayer. So there's a very good book that'll, that I'm going to use during this series on the Lord's Prayer, and it is called uh, When You Pray, uh, Making the Lord's Prayer Your Own by Philip. Philip Riken. He is uh, 
was a pastor. He's currently the president of Wheaton uh, College. So when you pray, it's a very good book on the Lord's Prayer. So that'll give you some things to look at over the next year. But today we want to look at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to look at the introduction. And I don't know if you know this, uh, if you remember this, but the Lord's Prayer uh, has an introduction to it that really answers the question, how not to pray. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how not to pray. So let's read the text. It's uh, Matthew 6. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. We find the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but before the Lord's Prayer, flowing into it is verses 4, uh, I'm sorry, 5 through 8. So that's what we're looking at today. Uh, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and gives us the Lord's Prayer. But that's the introduction to the Lord's Prayer. Let's, Let's pray as we launch into it. Father, we simply ask that you would teach us from this passage, before you teach us how to pray, would you graciously Speak to us by your spirit today and show us how not to pray. We ask this. We ask that you would speak through your word and that over this year, we pray for the next year, that you would transform our individual prayer lives and our prayer lives as a church, as a community as well. And that as we pray for change, Lord, would you be gracious and bring change to us individually, to our families, to our small groups, to our church, And, Lord, to our city and even our nation, Lord, we pray that you would answer prayer and bring change. Change us into your image more and more, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about three things about how not to pray here. Uh, I want to spend almost the entire time on two, but on two of them. But when I, before I get to the two, I want to mention this one, which is easy to miss, and that's how not to pray. Number one, don't skip prayer. Don't miss prayer. Don't skip prayer. Did you notice how he starts the passage? And when you pray. It's interesting. Jesus says that three times when you pray. Verse 5, I just read. Verse 6, but when you pray. Verse 7, and when you pray. Jesus is not addressing the possibility of prayer. Jesus is assuming prayer because prayer is foundational to following Jesus. It is at the heart of following Jesus. Martin Luther said, the real calling of all Christians is prayer. Now, Luther talked a lot about the various callings that we all have in life, but he said that the real calling of all Christians is prayer. What he was saying is, our service to Christ flows from our communion with him, and that flows into all of our lives. Prayer is the foundation 
of discipleship. That's why in a passage where Jesus is defining discipleship, called the Sermon on the Mount, he is defining kingdom life. He is defining what it means to know and follow him. He assumes prayer. It's so integral. It is the foundation of discipleship. And listen, it is also, this is, this is sobering, it is the measure of our discipleship. Prayer is the measure of our discipleship. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, a well-known Scottish minister from the 1800s, is oft quoted in any book on prayer. He's oftenly quoted with the famous saying, what a man or a woman, a person, what a person is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Who we are before God in prayer is who we really are with God. Now, I don't communicate this to make you feel guilty because I know this subject is one of the top three guilt-inducing sermons. If we preach on evangelism, guilt. If we preach on giving, guilt. If we preach on how much do we pray, guilt. So I get it that there's a few topics that we bring up that we instantly feel guilty on. I don't want to communicate that prayer is foundational, it's assumed by Jesus, uh, and, and that it is the measure of our walk with him. I don't want to start that off to make anyone feel guilty. I want to stir our faith that we have so much more to know of God through prayer. What a gift that prayer, we have so much more to encounter of Jesus Christ. We have so much more than we're currently experiencing or learning of God. I mean, the truth is, this is my truth. I don't know if it is for you, but for me, prayer is a struggle. Uh, I don't come by prayer easily. I don't find prayer. Some people, prayer just flows for them. I, I don't find that for me. And the reality is, among Christians, prayerlessness is very common. It's very common, but there is grace to change. We don't have to live a prayerless or a minimally prayerful life. I believe God's will for all of us is to have a robust prayer life, a deep communion of awe and intimacy, as that book title, subtitle mentioned. I believe the Lord wants us to have a growing prayer, a growing knowledge, a growing communion, a growing experience with Christ. And so it's a gift that he offers to all of us by grace. And we find in the Lord's prayer here that it starts with the right motivation. But because he tells us, before he tells us what to pray, he, he talks about our motivation for prayer in the verses that we just read. So number one, don't skip prayer. Number two, don't pray to impress people. That's what he talks about here. Don't pray to impress people. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. You must not be like the hypocrites. And then he gives us a couple of different examples of what the hypocrites pray like. Talks about praying in the synagogue. Talks about praying on the street corner. Now, here's the reality. He addresses hypocrites. He addresses hypocritical prayer. And it's really, really very easy for us to think, I can't identify with this section of Scripture. Let's get on to the Lord's Prayer because I don't identify with this. I don't pray out loud. None of us are in a temple. But I don't pray out loud at church. And I certainly don't pray out loud on a street corner. So you may be thinking, I feel not the least twinge of conviction when I read that. It's great to read a passage of scripture. I just think, I got that one down. 
I've never prayed on a street corner. I am killing it on Matthew 6, verse 7, or whatever it is. I've got that one down. When we read things like this, it's easy to think, you know, these verses are a correction for someone else, like the Pharisees. These verses are a correction for someone else. But let's move slowly here. Because a primary symptom of a hypocritical heart is to read a correction of Jesus and assume it's for somebody else. That's the very nature of hypocrisy. In that moment, when I think this isn't relevant for me, these words of Jesus don't apply to me, they apply to someone else. At that very moment, when I think that, the message of hypocrisy applies to me most. When I distance myself from the text, I'm not less hypocritical. When the more I move away from the text and its application to me, I'm not moving away from hypocrisy. I'm moving into hypocrisy. Look at the text. Just if you have a Bible, a physical Bible open, just look at the text. I counted. The introduction and warnings on hypocrisy, there are twice as many English words preparing and warning against hypocrisy than there are in the greatest prayer in all the Bible. So the the Lord's Prayer has half as many words as Jesus' warning against hypocrisy. He he gives us twice as much. So let's let's just assume that hypocrisy is a human problem. Let's just assume that Jesus didn't give twice as many words because there was this random sect of Judaism called the Pharisees 2,000 years ago who were really self-righteous, and Jesus give it to them about that street corner prayer. Now, let's get to the real prayer so I can learn something. Let's assume it has relevance for us. So, here's the first thing. Neither of these actions are hypocritical. Jesus is not talking about hypocritical actions. When he says someone stands in the temple to pray, that was appropriate. You stood before the chest or the closet in the temple where the the scrolls were kept, and the standard prayer posture of the day was to stand. And so standing in the temple to pray was not hypocritical. It was appropriate. And this business about street corner praying, well, here's what's going on in the, in the street corner praying. During times of fasts or even during the daily sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem, trumpets would sound. And when the trumpets would sound, wherever you were around the temple, you were to turn and to face the temple and in that moment pray. And so if you happen to be on a street corner and the trumpets go off at the temple because it's a fast day, feast day, it's a... It's a um, a sacrifice, then to turn to the temple and pray would not be hypocritical at all. It would indeed be appropriate. The hypocrisy is found in the whole context of the chapter. Look at the first verse. He sets us up to show what hypocrisy is. Verse six, verse one, I'm sorry. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. It wasn't hypocritical to pray, it was hypocritical to love to be seen. And I want to suggest to you that while we don't know anything about street corner praying, 
We all know about serving God with an awareness of others. Serving God with a desire for the approval of others. Serving God with a desire for the respect of others. You ever been in a group situation? Maybe it's your community group. And you start praying, and as you're praying out loud in the group, you start thinking things like, how does this sound? Does this make sense? Here's one for me. In the middle of praying in groups, I'll often think, uh, earlier, okay, what I'm praying right now, you know, when my mind was wandering, did somebody already pray this? Am I praying something that was already prayed in in the group? And how stupid is that? Okay, they're going to all think, yeah, I'm praying for Aunt, you know, this guy's Aunt Bessie. But did somebody already pray for Aunt Bessie? And they're going to think he wasn't listening. I mean, I wasn't listening, but I don't want them to think that I wasn't listening in this moment. Oh, this is what I'm praying along. Are others agreeing with it? Why aren't people agreeing with this? I mean, I'm praying. When she prayed, everybody's, mm, yes, Lord. Yeah, amen. Yes, Lord. May it be. Yes. Come, Lord Jesus. And I'm praying, and it's crickets. <laughs> How come when she was praying, everybody was into it, and now I'm praying, and, you know, it's just a snooze fest. Why aren't they agreeing with me? When you begin to think, what are they thinking? You have transferred your audience. You are no longer praying to God. Your audience is those around you in that moment. And that is the root of hypocrisy. That's what he's talking about. Hypocrisy is not about what you do. It's about why you do it. Now, maybe you're a person who says, that's fine. I'm still good. I'm still good. I don't struggle for this. Because when I'm in a group situation, like community group, I never pray out loud. So I'm not in this verse. I never pray out loud. Why not? Why, why don't you, if you're a Christian, why don't you pray out loud? Well, I'm just not comfortable praying in front of others. Why not? Well, uh, I might trip over my words. I might, my mind might go blank and I might not know what to say next. I might say something that doesn't make sense. Okay, would that bother God? Would he be offended by that? No. Yeah, but what would others think? Ah, yes, what would others think? See, praying to impress others or not praying because I don't want to sound unimpressive, they're the exact same thing. God is not the focus. God is not the direction of my heart. Others are. And that's why Jesus commends this kind of service that has others in view. In both cases, people pray for impress, to impress, don't pray so you don't look unimpressive. In both situations, people have replaced God as the prayer audience. Replaced the God with others. I love what... Philip Ryken, in the book I was recommending on the Lord's Prayer, When You Pray, this is what he says about hypocrisy and prayer on this verse. He says, the problem with the hypocrite is his motivation. He does not want to be holy. He only wants to seem to be holy. He is more concerned with his reputation for righteousness than about actually becoming righteous. He doesn't really want to be holy 
He only wants to seem holy. I remember reading a cartoon one time, a Christian cartoon, on, and it had, uh, it had this guy who kind of had a little bit of a shocked look in his eyes, and then it had a bubble of his thoughts, and he was saying, oh, there's Bob. I told Bob I would pray for him. And then he says, Lord, help Bob. The next frame is the guy talking to Bob. He says, hey, Bob, how are you? I prayed for you. I've been praying for you. And the point of it was he was more concerned with appearing faithful than being faithful. What kind of, what kind of breakthrough could there have been in the guy's heart and maybe in his relationship with Bob, certainly his relationship with the Lord, if he said, Bob, how are you doing? You know what? Last week, ah, oh, I promised to pray for you. Could I be honest? I completely forgot. Would you forgive me? I said I would pray for you. I made a commitment to pray for you, and I didn't. But could we pray right now? How are you? How's it going? Let's pray right now. I'm sorry. Thank you for understanding. Let's pray right now. What, what power would be in that prayer instead of, Help Bob. Hey, I've been praying for you, wanting to appear faithful. More concerned with what others think than what God thinks. That is the broad application of this beyond prayer. Well, Jesus gives the proper motivation. Verse 6, he says, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So he's saying if the appropriate audience is the Lord, the Father, so go in secret and pray to him. Does this rule out public prayer? Absolutely not. Public prayer is throughout the Bible. This is a public prayer. He's about to teach a public prayer. He doesn't pray, my Father who is in heaven. He prays, our Father who's in heaven. So the prayer Jesus gives is a corporate prayer. It can be used privately, of course, but it's a corporate prayer. So he's not against anybody praying in front of others or praying out loud or praying together or anything like that. It's all about motivation. It's all about motivation. The contrast is not public versus private, synagogue versus go to your room. Uh, it's love to be seen by others versus your father who sees in secret. That's the contrast. Love to be seen by others, your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. This is an incentive to prayer. He's saying God is available. God is eager to reward. Do you know, shut the door and get with your father. He is listening and he is eager, eager to reward. It's a promise. He will reward you. Now, what is the reward? He doesn't say, it could be an eternal reward, uh, you know, contrasted with the temporal reward, which is they were impressed with your great words. They saw you on the street corner, and man, they said, wow, look at that guy. Trumpets ended 30 minutes ago. We're all back at the market, and he's still out there praying. Man. Yeah, they were impressed. That was your temporal reward, but there is an eternal reward, your father who saw in secret. It could be that. It could be answered prayer. I mean, all these are good. All these rewards are phenomenal. Eternal reward could be answered prayer. You know, the Bible at one point says you have not because you ask not. So the, the reward could be the Lord hears in secret, and you know what? He answers. Or it could be that the reward is, and this is my inkling, my sense, 
It could be that the reward is God himself. That you encounter almighty God himself. You, you pray and you ask and what you get is God. Our father who is in heaven. Communion with him. Interaction with him. Life change from him. The, a connection with him. Faith in him. A vision of him. Peace in your soul because you see the one who is on the throne. Encountering him. It could be all the above. Praying to God, you get him. That's the greatest reward imaginable. And the way we root out hypocrisy, the way we root out the craving to impress or be thought of as spiritual or godly or a servant or uh, whatever it is, in this case, a prayer uh, person, uh, rather than seeking to impress, the answer is to go to your father and pray in secret. Now, back to the thing. I didn't mean to jump on anybody who feels nervous to pray in public. All I wanted to do was love you enough to say, let's poke around there in our heart a little bit and see what the motivation is. You know, some, some are quick and ready to pray and boom, just, you know, freely share with us all their prayers. We need to poke around in our heart on that one a little bit too. But, but let's just say this. My heart is that if you don't pray in front of other people, that the grace of God would meet you in the next year. Let, let's have a long ramp. It doesn't have to happen today. But let's say by, by grace, what if a year from now, or even it could be less than that, but what if you felt very comfortable praying and loving and serving others by interceding to the Father on their behalf? You know, where, you know how you get over that? You get over that by developing a prayer life where you pray to your father in secret. And when the group is praying and others are around, it doesn't change. You might not be in your room, but you're still praying to the father who is hearing you. You're still directing to him, pouring out your heart to him, free from the desire to impress others or the fear of being embarrassed before others. It's the same thing. Public prayer happens as we develop this and we develop communion, familiarity, uh, awe, familiarity and awe, both, as we develop this relationship of speaking to our Father who's listening and answering, it becomes more comfortable to therefore begin to do that before others. So don't pray. So we're praying that in the months ahead, the weeks ahead, the year, whatever it is, that God will burst through with faith and a boldness in him. Not a confidence that you know what to say. A boldness in your Father that would free you to pray for others. Because as Charles Spurgeon once said, the kind, you, you can do me no greater kindness than to pray for me. It's a kindness to others when you go to the Lord with them and for them. Okay, number three, so don't skip prayer. Don't pray to impress others. And this is important. Don't pray to impress God. Don't pray to impress God. While we are to pray to our Father, we aren't praying to impress him. That's verse 7. And when you pray, do not uh, heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him, so pray like this. Pagans commonly believed, uh, and we import some of this ideology, but pagans commonly believed that the gods answered prayer requests based on quantity and not quality. So the more you say, 
you'll get an answer. And when you were praying to the Roman or the Greek gods, it wasn't only your God addressed, but if you were really desperate, you addressed other gods as well with as many words as possible. And so their belief, he's saying, don't heap up phrases. Don't be like someone praying to Zeus who thinks that if you have, you know, multiple phrases, he will answer. That is an impersonal act where you repeat phrases, empty phrases, he calls them, thinking that you will be rewarded for what Jesus says is your many words. But with God our Father, prayer is simple, conversational. Think about the prayers in Jesus's ministry. They weren't, they answered prayers, the most powerful prayers. I'm going to tell you a couple prayers, and if you're familiar with the New Testament, you'll know them instantly. If you don't, then this will be great. You'll learn something here that maybe you haven't heard before. But the, the prayers that get answered and get highlighted in the New Testament aren't flowery, lengthy. The ministry of Jesus, they weren't uh, an abundance of words. How about this one? The, the tax collector is honored for this prayer. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. That man's prayer was answered and he went down justified, Jesus said. How about the person who had a son who was having convulsions and could get him no help his whole life and he comes to Jesus and this this was his honest, talk about honesty. This isn't flowery, this isn't impressive. Here was his prayer to Jesus. I believe Help my unbelief. How's that for an honest prayer? An unimpressive, if you're going to look at righteous prayers with theological language, with paragraph after paragraph, help my unbelief. His son got healed. The the, the New Testament does not highlight, even where you get longer prayers in the letters of Paul, they're still very brief compared to the structure, the body of the whole letter. They're still very brief. They're clear. They're simple. So this is a revolutionary idea, not not to the Jews perhaps, but to the the, uh, pagans who would read this later. It's not empty phrases. It's simple and real. It's going to your father. This is revolutionary. You are coming to your father. What kind of father, heavenly father, perfect father, what kind of father would he be if he could be manipulated by our technique of lots of phrases or the right phrase? Are you going, getting warmer, warmer, warmer? Boom, that was the phrase. You got what you wanted. What kind of God is that? If you could manipulate him through your phrases, what kind of God would he be if he would, could only be worn down by your repetition? And it's not just you. Okay, if you can get 125 other people to pray, then I'll answer. I'm all for getting everybody to pray for us in our need, but let's just make sure that it's not that we think if we get a certain number, that twists God's arm. Oh, I wasn't leaning in. I'm opposed to you, but uh, okay, now you got me. Okay, I'll do it. That is a pagan idea. Yes, we want to intercede for one another. Yes, we want to invite people. Yes, we want to humble ourselves and ask for prayer. Let's just don't think that that's a technique that manipulates God. Let's just say that's more people bearing one another's burdens and coming to the Father in unity together out of love for someone in need. That's good. Let's get everybody praying if that's the motivation. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not to be persistent. We are. But again, this is about the heart. Pagan prayer is using the right method to get what you want, and it's transactional. 
Jesus's prayer is coming to your father and it's relational. That's the difference in pagan prayer. Friends, this takes all the pressure off. You don't have to impress people. You don't have to impress God. You don't have to have many words. You don't have to be a theologian who knows all the technical language about God. You don't have to be a super holy person that if you're super holy, then God will surely answer your prayer. Jesus says, go to your father privately and speak to him from your heart. He's not impressed with a lot of words. Hey, by the way, he already knows everything you need before you open your mouth. So lots of fancy words aren't going to fool God. He's not going to go, wow, I thought I knew your needs, but man, I never, that's amazing. No, he, he knows everything. You're coming to your father who knows. It takes the pressure off. The God who created everything, the judge over all, the one who holds the galaxies in his hand, the sovereign who does whatever he pleases, the Psalms say, he's your father. He's your father. And you have access to him. This is grace. This passage, it, it, is, a, it is a correction, but there, it's filled with grace. It's saying, don't do this and impress others. Don't try to impress God. Come to your Father. There's an open invitation because we have access. Not because people think you're righteous. Not because you are righteous. But because Jesus is righteous, you have access. We find out later in Scripture. It is because of Jesus that you have access. You don't have access because you pray awesome prayers. You have access because Jesus prayed an awesome prayer as he died on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. It's the prayer of Jesus that makes a way for you. It's the death of Jesus. It's the resurrection of Jesus. It's the righteousness of Jesus. He simply says, come and talk to your father. Pressure is off. Invited by grace. He already knows everything. Now come to him. Worship him, honor him, praise him, unburden your heart before him. And your father who sees in secret, oh, he will reward you. He will reward you. Nothing to prove in prayer, nothing to earn. We come as needy sinners, weak, ignorant, desperate before our father who sees in secret. I've, I've been reading this one quote all week that I want to share with you. That it just had an image in it that's it's affected me. It's about our motivation for prayer. It's by an author. His, his name is Wesley Hill. And he writes, know that you are already bathed in the Father's love. And ask simply for what you need in the assurance that the one to whom you're speaking is already cupping his ear in your direction. That's what prayer should be. I've walked in that this week, thinking about that. Bathed in love, and he's cupping his ear in your direction. Already knows what you need. He's your father, embracing, loving you, caring for you. That's the invitation to prayer. Not how do I sound? What, is this good enough? No, it's looking to Jesus. It's not good enough. But Jesus is 
perfect, more than good enough, and that is your access. This is the place to start. Before we get to our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Jesus uses, again, twice as many words to say, let's poke around, let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, and let's get our motivation right. Because if we get our motivation right, the words, which are important, but they're going to be secondary, it's first, get your motivation right, get your vision of God right, get your understanding of the Father right, He knows what you need, and then come to him. He's already cupping his ear in your direction, eager to hear from you, to speak to you, to change you, to fill you with his power to do what he's called you to do. That's the motivation. Don't skip prayer. Don't pray to impress others. Don't pray to impress God. Come to your Father in secret. He already knows your needs, and he's listening. Let's talk to that God now. Father, we come to you, and we thank you that you are listening. Lord, we we just acknowledge we don't deserve you to answer our prayers, but we thank you that you do. Thank you that you listen to our hearts. Thank you that you call us to come. You invite us. You charge us to come, to close the door and to pray to you in secret. And as we do, you will hear and you will answer. We, Lord, this truth is just too good to, to, to imagine that you who spoke the entire universe into existence with the word of your power, that you, Lord Jesus, who rose rose from the dead in power, that you who control everything, tell us to call you Father and to come into your presence to speak. And you're listening. Lord, we're honored that we know you. Thank you that we know you. Thank you for the gift of grace. Lord, you are a God greater than any of us imagine more loving than anyone in this room. You take all of our thoughts combined and they don't touch how loving, gracious, merciful, and kind you are to your people. We pray over the next year that when we are standing here a year from today, that one thing would be different, that we know our Father in heaven, that we've spoken, that we've heard, that we've been changed, that you've granted us a vision of yourself you've transformed our lives from legalism to grace, from distance to nearness, from the unknown God to my heavenly Father, our Father. Do this, we pray by grace. We ask it of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.